TG Geeks, episode 195, November 12th, 2018. Stars, planets, and steampunk. Hello and welcome to another webcast from TGGeeks.com, where Ben and Keith, the two gay geeks, talk about all aspects of geekdom and nerdery. Sci-fi, comics, film, horror, genre, you name it, we talk about it. I'm coming to you from, uh, I'm Keith Lane, and I'm coming to you from TG Squared Studios in lovely Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm Ben Raginton. Did you say Splanets? Star Splanets? You got some splaining to do. <laughs> Coming to you from <laughs> lovely Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, let's just get this show on the road. Prepare for hyperdrive. Meanwhile, in this episode, we have David Lee Summers, an astronomy associate. That's why the stars and planets. And then I had to have another S because in the second segment, we're going to have David Steampunk. Lee Steampunk. Steampunk from David yes, Lee Yes, because he's also an yeah. author. Yeah. We also have our birthday shout-outs, our featured podcast of the week, and everybody's favorite feedback. And then, as I said, the second segment, David Lee Summers, the writer, and then our weekly recap, and as always, our few follow-up items. So please don't stop listening. There's some important stuff in there occasionally. So we're going to just get right to talking to David. And this time we have in our studio... We have a scientist. At, yeah, we have a scientist, actually. And we're at the Doubletree by Hilton at CocoCon 2018. And we're doing this uh, live in our studio. And we're talking to David Lee Summers. He is the Senior Observing Associate at Kitt Peak Observatory. I have to add to... Is the last name Summers or Summer? Summer. Summers, plural. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Several There's summers. a joke behind that. <laughs> yeah, my, my niece's name is Summer, and when she was very, very young, my grandmother had this uh, horrible tendency to say things inappropriate or r- r- incorrectly, So, and she called her Summers one time, and it was, she said, Summer, Summer. So we... Now, I mean, she's 25 years old. Yeah. And we so call her Summers we, come her, we call her Summers as a joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and all of a sudden, as I heard him say that, I thought, oh, oh my, no. no, oh, no. I hope he got that right. I hope he didn't, you know, some sort of Freudian slip there. Yeah. Nope, did great. Did <laughs> oh, great. great. Cool. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, so David, what, what is the Senior Observing Associate at, at Kitt Peak? What, what does that mean exactly? Well, well, I'm one of the three senior observing associates at Kitt Peak, and what we are is we're the people who basically help the visiting astronomers who come in get the data that they want to get from the telescope. So okay. someone comes... Uh, the way telescope time is, is scheduled at the observatory is people will apply for time, and it's very competitive, so astronomers all around the world will compete for maybe three, four, five days of time at the telescope. Wow. And when they come there, 
you know, sometimes it might be weathered out for part of it. Oh, they, no. And they want to get the best data they can out of the clear skies mm-hmm. that they can. Right. And so my job is to make sure that that telescope gets on target, that they get the data that they want to get out of it, that, you know, if the instrument goes wrong, you know, I'm the guy who's going to be there on, on the hook right there trying to fix the thing, getting it going for them. Uh, the mission of the observatory is changing a little bit. We are now doing more what we call remote observing, oh. where astronomers actually won't come out to the telescope. We're, really? So a lot of times, a lot of my work is talking to people over Skype. So oh, wow. I, I get to sit there in, the, in a lonely control room with disembodied voices from, from somewhere else in the country, some, sometimes somewhere halfway around the world right. uh, talking to me. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the, teles- the data to them. Uh, if, say, the internet connection to the mountain goes down, you know, I might be the guy who's grabbing that actual data for right. them. So yeah. you, you, do, you target the telescope and, and do all of that? Point the telescope, wow. make sure it's all focused up, make, oh, sure wow. it's, uh, make sure it's basically all set to get exactly well, what they want out of it. Interesting. With the kind of, you know, I mean, there are, how, how many telescopes would you say total are around the world, you know, that are used for scientific research like this? Oh, goodness. It's, it's hundreds of telescopes. Right. Uh, I mean, and, you know, and they're, they're varying in size and purpose. So uh, what would you say, you know, for Kid Peak, what would be the primary focus for that particular observatory? So we do all kinds of things. We are we, – we have in time the big discovery that was done there back in the 70s was uh, Vera Rubin did the what we call rotation gal- uh, curves of galaxies. Oh, and wow. what this is, is this is this is looking at how galaxies rotate. And what she expected was that galaxies would rotate a lot like solar systems. You know, stars in the center would be going around a lot faster. Stars in the outside would be going around a lot slower. Mm-hmm. What she found is ro- galaxies rotate a lot like disks. They're right. like records on a record player. Oh. And this is this is you know, something's holding it all together. Right. And that became the discovery that led to dark matter. I remember seeing some of this in right, some of the science right, shows right. we've watched. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's like one big area that the, the observatory is known for. What we're doing a lot now, uh, one of the really hot areas is uh, we're working with NASA on exoplanets. Mm-hmm. Uh, helping to confirm the existence of exoplanets, looking at the characteristics of the stars that that planets around other solar systems go around. So we're doing a lot of that kind of work, determining wow. which ones really really do host planets and which ones are anomalous discoveries. Right. Uh, the other big mission uh, objective we're getting set to do is we're completely converting the Mayall 4-meter. That's the biggest telescope on the mountain, the flagship, the one that Vera Rubin discovered right, dark matter right. on. The whole top end of that telescope's come off. Wow. Uh, they're putting on a 5,000-fiber spectrograph. And what that means wow. is 5,000 fiber optics right at the top end, right where astronomers back in the old days used to sit around and write around, actually, in the very top of the telescope taking photographic plates. Wow. That will now have fiber optics in them going down to a series of spectrographs a couple of floors below. And we'll be mapping the entire northern sky, basically creating a three-dimensional map of how fast everything's moving in wow. the universe. Or I'm in trying the to wrap my head around that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's and, amazing. And it's like a, our five-year mission. It feels very Star Trek. Like you <laughs> yeah. know, we're going to be uh, <laughs> yeah, just you know, uh, trying to get trying to get our he- heads around this. And the whole uh, goal of this is to try to figure out what this thing called dark energy is. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we know, 
you know, what we know about dark energy is we've measured how fast the universe is accelerating. And, and back in, when I was first started at Kitt Peak in the 90s, we thought basically the universe would either be from the Big Bang would either be accelerating at a constant rate or right. it would be slowing down. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the big mysteries people were trying to get their heads around. So an astronomer named Saul Perlmutter was doing observations at Kitt Peak. And uh, there were other astronomers at other places. They all ended up uh, winning the Nobel Prize for this work. But what they found was that they looked further back in time and the universe was actually going slower than it is now. So really? it's actually so speeding it's up. Oh, wow. That was a completely unexpected result. Yeah. So why is the universe speeding up? And that, the, the thing energizing the universe to speed it up is what, what's been sort of dubbed dark energy. Uh -huh. and, and so now the whole idea is to look at the universe at a fine scale and find out, you know, are there are different parts accelerating maybe at different rates or is the whole thing accelerating at the same rate uniformly? Yeah. What does that actually tell us about the nature of dark energy? Yeah. What was, uh, I have, to, I have to ask, uh, how did you get involved in this particular field for one? And is, uh, of all the, the different studies that are being made, is there one that maybe you have a particular, um, spe specialized education in or just particular interest? Um, uh, are, are you like me, you know, who just, I just have to devour all of it? <laughs> well, I kind of have to be one of those that, that devours, like, everything in it. But uh, as far as, as my background, uh, I started out as, as a kid with a telescope, basically. Mm -hmm, right. You know, when I was uh, growing up watching Star Trek, you know, I and... and in high school, my mom got me a, t a small telescope, a three-and-a-half-inch. I got involved with yep. the local amateur astronomy club. This was in San Bernardino, California, yep. that I grew up. And, you know, I just started looking at the sky. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, I went to uh, – they had a, a college program where I could take college classes, and I took Astronomy 101. And wow. I met a professor there and. It ended up that I knew telescopes well enough. He actually helped me teach the lab. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, nice. So that was as a high school you yeah, know, a student yeah. in college. And so that was kind of how I got involved with, with telescopes in particular. And then that just continued on. Uh, when I went to university, I ended up uh, working on a physics and astrophysics degree at uh, New Mexico Tech. Uh, that is the school that the VLA is associated right. with yeah, the world's largest down, uh, in, down in Socorro, New Mexico. Yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the telescope that you saw in the movie contact, right, for instance. Right, right. And, yeah. So that's uh yeah. So I actually got to, uh, in my senior year of college, I actually got to observe with the VLA. Right. Now what, what I did, nice. that's now what cool. I did was I observed clouds, which may be not that exciting, <laughs> but, but what it did, you do, got to be there, but I got to be there. And the reason we were observing clouds was this was a, a, a site survey, uh, thing for, uh, a telescope that's called Alma, the Atacama, uh, millimeter oh, yeah, array, yeah, which yeah. is a big fancy new radio telescope now down in South America. Yeah. Oh yes. So that, yeah, so the that, top of the, the mountain exactly. that's inaccessible to anybody. <laughs> exactly. And so, so, you know, it, it's like this, this little bit of work I did back in my senior year of college was one wow. little piece of helping that telescope ultimately come online. That's a bragging right. So yeah. that's uh so that was part of what I did. And as far as uh, specialty, what I, what I did largely as far as my own research in, in undergraduate and graduate days was uh, working on what we call variable stars. 
and variable stars in a really simplistic way is all that is is stars whose light changes. Mm. Right. And that can be the ones I was most interested in are what they call RS Canvan stars. Those are stars with big s- spots on them, like sunspots, oh, yeah. except that these are, are star spots. And these are very giant star spots. So they're mm-hmm. actually... Um, the size of our star. <laughs> almost. almost. Well, the stars themselves are about the size of our star, but these are, these uh, are like planetary-sized oh, wow. spots on, on wow. these things. So it's work that actually did come back to be, you know, the work that was done to identify these things on stars is a lot of what ended up going into like things like exoplanet research right. and so forth. Just out of curiosity, yeah. Okay, well, just out of curiosity, and I want to get to the exoplanet thing yeah. because um, I, I do want to say that I loved the panel yesterday. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you. It was great. But uh, it's huge sunspots. Um, any kind of uh, research or any kind of, um, how can I say, uh, discovery as to why they were so massive? Now, that kind of goes outside my area because I, I don't really do a lot of solar astronomy, but I know that you know this whole business of solar cycles and, and the whole recent solar maximum, that's, that's something that the solar astronomers are really interested right. in. You know, the, I, I saw a post, I didn't read the article, but I saw a post somewhere that we're getting ready to enter another one of those new 11-year cycles with our star. So, right. Oh, are we really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I, like I said, I didn't read the article, so I don't know any specifics about it. But it, you know, I know that there's a lot of activity that happens whenever we go into a new period. Right. And the, our sun is just a very active, dynamic kind of system. And yeah. that, that's what made these stars very interesting is right. because they're, they're that same kind of thing, but they're almost like a runaway. You know, it's like the magnetic <laughs> fields are, you know, they're spinning fast and the magnetic fields all combine to, to make these star spots, these right. big cool spots on the surface of the stars. And, you know, they're, they're kind of like our star, but, you know, like many times bigger as far as the flares and right. as, far as, mm-hmm. the, uh, as far as the spots and all that are concerned. I wonder if uh, age has got anything to do with that. Well, well, these or, just, are, or just the chemical makeup. Of, you know. Well, you know, and what's interesting about these is these are actually stars that are very close to our, our sun as far as their, their G and what we call G and, and F stars, which are... Uh, very similar to solar type stars. So, you know, what made these a little bit different? A lot of them are in binary systems. So right. part of it is maybe the interaction of binary yeah. fields. Mm-hmm. Well, we're uh, kind of uh, in the, not in the norm because, I mean, most systems are, aren't, aren't they binaries? And, and we're about, you know, yeah, about half the fields, uh, systems out there are multi-star systems. Yeah. So you mentioned one yesterday that it was, it was a, a four star system. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, that's no, amazing. and that's, that's not that, act- that's actually not that. That uncommon, you wow, know, to have really? things like four star, you know, multi star associated well, systems. I, I, I guess a, you know if you look at the those uh, star uh, nurseries. I mean, they they've got to start somewhere, right. and they're, they're, there's hundreds of them, and then they just all kind of fly apart. But yeah, no, <laughs> well, some of them drag them, that drag others with them. Well, I think we may. I mean, it's it's been theorized that Jupiter. The, if if it hadn't been a little bit larger, had more mass, it also would have turned into a star itself. Right. But it's because of its lack of mass, it was not able to sustain any kind of fusion. So who knows? Maybe we were supposed to be a binary system and it just didn't work out. Right. Now, this does get into a whole other mystery that I just read about. I, I'm not one of the people who's, who's been involved in studying it, but I was just reading about... Um, People have been doing searches for exactly our stellar nursery, you know, other stars that we were formed oh. with. 
And the thing is, wow. is it's a mystery. One of the big really? mysteries is we can't find the other stars that are the same metallicity out. and same really? age as our stars. We can't find our, so our, our, our sister stars. <laughs> exactly. It's like our mother star. <laughs> we're, we're like very unique in this part of the wow. galaxy. We're orphans. We, Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if we just got spun out of. Uh, you know, something something somewhere. must have happened. Where wow. we're, you know, maybe it's just behind some dark cloud somewhere well, or something true. that way. True. But it's, uh, but it's not. Uh, you know, you would think you would see in amongst oh, the nearby it's, stars. It's there would that, be. It's that 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 mystery planet, the ninth planet. Oh please, <laughs> planet X. <laughs> planet X. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. As long you. as you don't say Nibiru or whatever. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh no 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 no. I I I never need to hear about that one again. But let let's let's shift over to exoplanets. And you gave the most amazing talk yesterday. I mean, I was riveted oh, with you. a lot of things that you had to talk about yesterday. So, so tell us about the, this discovery. And, and of course, you know, on the news. It's like for a time there, we were seeing all these scientific reports coming out about these new planets that were being discovered, especially, you know, like super Earths, you know, right. planets like that. So tell us about the, 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 the search for exoplanets. So, you know, the, the big, you know, the big thing in all of that has been a, a telescope that's been in space called Kepler. And right. that, that was launched by NASA. It's uh, run out of Ames uh, Space Flight Center up in Northern California. A uh, good friend of mine who used to be the Wind Project scientist at uh, at Kitt Peak, uh, named Steve Howell, is now uh, the head of the Astronomy and Astrobiology Division at Wynn or at at Ames. Sorry, and uh, he's you know he what we've done is is Kepler just sat and spent several years looking at one spot in the sky, right. just trying to find how many exoplanets it could find in this one very narrow region of the sky. And the answer so far is, for Kepler itself, it's like right around 2,800 stars with planets. amazing. And I think about 20 years, 20 years, 20 years ago, we were at a point where the very first exoplanets were being discovered. This was yeah. right, right before, you know, I knew Clyde Tombaugh. I used to work at uh, New Mexico State University, right. which is where Clyde Tombaugh, who discovered Pluto, mm-hmm. the right, la- right, last right. guy who actually discovered a planet in our solar system. And I'm a Pluto as a planet guy. I, yeah. Thank uh, you. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> we, we've been up to a little. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're old school people. Yeah, so, I, yeah I, you, I believe in nine planets. Thank you very and much. And if you've been to Lowell, that's right where Clyde was working when he discovered Pluto and he but you know he talked about it his 90th birthday how amazing it was that people were finally discovering planets outside the solar system and he you know we were excited about three or four at that point and 20 years later we're now at thousands of planets know. we know outside the you solar said, system what was it 3700 or so Thir- yeah we now know like a total of th- it's like 3800 planets right. around other stars wow, discovered by all the different methods uh, two thirds of those or so are discovered by this this Kepler spacecraft it's um, just amazing and they're being confirmed by telescopes like Wynn and the 4 meter at Kitt Peak uh, a lot of other telescopes are involved with that all around the world, uh, confirming these discoveries. Where kept, you know, there, it was famous in the news a little while back that uh, the Kepler mission, the reaction wheels on the telescope failed. There were two of them that failed. Two of them are still working. Uh, so they have weren't able to keep going with the original Kepler mission, but now the mission is is sitting here pointing at other. Uh, 
at, at other uh, systems, basically within the plane of the ecliptic uh, of our solar system. So it's mm. it's just looking out and doing all kinds of other science. It's still planet planet hunting. But the big news is we just launched TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, and that went up in April. It just started work. So oh, wow. it, that's going to look at like the 50,000 closest stars wow. for planets. So look that, for a lot more planets to be discovered. So I think when you say a, closest, what, what's the, what is what's the, the, yeah, what does well, that mean? 50,000, we're probably up to, you know, we're, we're talking like a few hundred, few, you know, a few hundred light years oh, okay. kind so, of radius still, but we're, we're t- the closest, you know, the closest star is Alpha Centauri at four light right, years away. Right. So that's the, so we're still, you know, it's, we're, we're really hard pressed to get there in any, any reasonable time yet. Right. Unless, uh, yeah, you know, get a solar sail going out there at the speed no of light. Kidding. But that's uh, that's our best bet, I think, to get something out there in, in one of our lifetimes. And so. and a lot of these these telescopes, uh, it's not just size that they're looking at. They're also able to kind of like make some determination about uh, the, the makeup of the planet as well. Because I, you know, you've seen I well, at least I've seen a lot of artist conceptions of you know, like oh, we discovered the super Earth, and then they they show this illustration of something that looks very Earth like, and I'm thinking uh, that's really a leap in logic. Yeah, e- exactly. And it's uh, you know, a lot of those things are, are artist conceptions. They're done, you know, they're commissioned by NASA, and they try to get them, you know, at least somewhat what they might look like. But you know what you do get as far as the hard facts is you can you can get the mass of the planet you can right. get the radius of the planet and those two give you the density of the planet right and what you find is you can you can categorize the planets in in broad categories and and what we have are we have um, you know we have the terrestrial planets that's basically what earth is we have the we have the gas giants like Jupiter mm-hmm. we have Ice giants, right? You know, so much for Odin getting rid of the ice giants. <laughs> right. Right? It actually turns out most planets are ice giants. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You find Jotunheim. Exactly. That, that's Nep- you know, Neptune is an ice giant. Right, right. So we have three of those in our system. There's one other type of system. Again, this is a broad categorization, but they're water worlds. Right. And these are worlds that are basically the density of water. So we think sometimes of Earth as a water world just because it's covered in water, but it's actually just covered in this very thin veneer of water. Right. It's really a rocky world. You know, so right, it's, a, it's right. a terrestrial world just like Mars, just like Venus. But when we talk about water worlds, we're talking about the, some of these super-Earths or water worlds that are, that are just water density all wow. through. That may not mean, mean Even that they're with all core? They probably have – they might have some kind of, of a, a – lower density core than a rock density core wow. but that that might be some kind of a liquid so when you subs- say so it might be like a gas like it might be hydrogen right. compressed to the point because yeah, like i'm trying to think so what would kind of when you yeah. say water world is it like maybe uh co2 or i mean right. not co2 yeah. but uh, but it's, it's, it's some probably other, it's probably some, some kind of, of uh, something close to to you know hydrogen oxygen you know those right. kinds of chemicals all com- you know that that's compressed it's, yeah, I'm but wondering it's not what would kind of keep that all together as a cohesive world and would well again we, the same as as like jupiter which is hydrogen and, and helium but we would generally think of that as something more massive as well so right. that way you've got you have the uh enough mass in order to create the gravity so that it it sustains its form Right. So again, these are, you know, it's just there's enough of that kind of mass, the, the sort of liquidy mass in one spot to right. be a planet. So much as Jupiter and Saturn are 
big masses of gas, just as the sun is a big mass of gas. Right. That's all cohesive and self-gravitating. These are big masses, essentially, of a liquid, of a water density kind of liquid as a gravitating mass. Yeah. Wow. So... This has been absolutely fascinating. Oh, so tell us if people want to know more about Kit Peak yes. and uh, the work that you're doing there or that the the scientists are doing there, where can they be found? Is there social media, website, uh, a website about Kit Peak? Right. Abs- the best place is uh, right now is noao.edu. That's the National Optical Astronomy Observatory's website. You can go there. There are links to directly to Kitt Peak as well as the other observatories that NOAO runs, such as Cerro Tololo in the Southern Hemisphere. Kitt Peak has a visitor center, and uh, the link to the visitor center is on there. So you, definitely if you're in Southern Arizona, it's a place to come out and visit and see the visitor center, take tours of the telescopes. There is uh, social media, and I believe those are all linked on the website as okay. well, so you can get their Facebook and, and Twitter feeds as well. Fantastic. Right. And, and where is Kitt Peak, just in case anybody wants to know? Kitt Peak is about 45 miles west of Tucson on Highway 86. Fantastic. Right. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk to David Lee Summers, the author. Thank you very much. Hey guys, my name is Gigi Edgley. I play Tiana on Farscape and I'm the host of Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. And you're listening to the amazing, awesome, amazing, 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 brilliant, perfect, wonderful 2K Geeks. Thank you, Gigi. That was a lot of amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) And now here's a few selected birthdays for November 12th through November 18th, 2018. November 12th, Megan Mullally. Oh, uh, Will and Grace. Uh, Karen. Yeah. (laughs) For God's sake, Karen. Also, Grace Kelly and August Rodin, who is the famed sculpture. 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 Not the Rodin uh, creature. Oh, that that was born in the month of August. Yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who is a uh, activist, a feminist, and uh, women's rights activist, and Alexander Borodine, who is uh, a composer in his own right, mm-hmm. and Wallace Inconceivable Sean on November twelfth, and my little brother KJ. Her- no, not KJ. Oh, not KJ. My little brother. Little brother. Not oh, his son. Not the son. <laughs> not I'm his sorry. son. No, this Kurt is Squirt. Lane. Yes, this is Kurt the Squirt. Kurt Allen Lane. Happy birthday, Kurt. November 13th, Gary, Gary Marshall and Whoopi Goldberg. And imagine this. Imagine that. David Lee Summers. How about that? And Mark Whitman, a friend from high school. November 14th, Patrick Warburton. You want to say anything about that? No, not really. Uh, Kronk. Yeah, Kronk. Uh, <laughs> Among it, other things. If, if you ever have not seen tech. the old video that uh, introduces Soaring Over California, he is the dork. Yes. Also on November 14th, Claude Monet, Aaron Copeland, Robert Fulton, who actually uh, made the very first steam-powered boat. Oh. And he also actually made the first... Um, uh, submarine. 
Oh no, I he didn't was, know that. Yeah, I knew was, about the I knew about the steam powered boat, you know, because uh, yep. his name is uh, very much equated with like uh, paddle boats. Yep. But I didn't know about the sub. Yep, he created the first submarine. Actually, as a commission for Napoleon. No kid. Really? Uh, yes. Yes. Wow, Amazing. I had no huh? idea. Yeah. And he was also uh, created um, naval torpedoes. Holy other plane moly. to fame. Yeah, so I had did, no idea. He did a lot, yeah. Also on November 14th, Russell Tovey. Oh, I just love that guy. He Great actor. Yeah. And Leopold Mozart. Leopold. Not that Leopold. Oh, not that Leopold. <laughs> and Sherwood Schwartz, who is big time... Uh, TV producer Brady oh. Bunch. Ah, among, yes. Among I thought others, the name seemed And our niece Galen Hughes. Happy birthday, Happy Galen. Galen. 17. God, where's the time I, gone? I know. I feel old now. November 15th, Johnny Lee Miller. Elementary. Elementary, yes. Ed Asner, who was uh, actually, <laughs> they got him right in Up because he played the old man. Oh, he was so perfect in that. Oh, yeah. And, and it's his... Uh, his character is actually a caricature of him. Yes, so, no question. Also on November 14th, Georgia O'Keefe. November 16th, Clue Gulliger. And I, I tell this story every year because uh, Clue actually grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. He was born okay. in, uh, in southern Oklahoma, and they moved to Muskogee. And his grandmother's sister was uh, Will Rogers' mother. Okay, I've got to draw that <laughs> yeah, line here. It was their first cousins, uh, first cousins once removed, I think is what it was. So he is definitely an Oklahoma son. Okay. Also, November 16th, Tiberius, the but Roman no, emperor. Oh, but, but not, not, <laughs> not related to James T. Kirk. Uh-uh. And Gigi, Gigi Edgley. Imagine that's, that. That's why I played her bumper. <laughs> Happy birthday, Gigi. November 17th. RuPaul, Danny DeVito, Tom Ellis, who plays... Uh, uh, Tom uh, Ellis. Oh, uh, oh, good God. Oh, shoot. Um, I just want to thank you very much. I wasn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't I know. ready for that. Yep. Uh, yeah. The devil. Yes. Lucifer? <laughs> Lucifer. Oh, my God. How did we forget that? Outside, I, I was mind, scanning you know? ahead on the script, and I, it, I wasn't paying attention. My bad. That's all right. Martin Scorsese. Rock Hudson, Matt Hines, and Lori Menengay. Oh, Happy she's birthday, the Lori. Life of the Podfather. Yeah. November 18th, Crazy Uncle Crazy Alan Uncle Moore. Alan. Gotta love him. And Stephen Moffat. Linda Evans. I put Linda Evans on here and Rock Hudson because they were both in Dynasty together. Yes, they uh, were. One day apart on birthday. Also, on November 18th, Carl Maria von Weber, who was a composer. And Eugene Ormandy, a famed conductor. And last but not least, a friend of ours, John Kittlesrud. And that is it for the birthdays this time. The Ideas Start Here podcast is a science-based, informative, entertaining view on immunizations and general health-related topics. Featuring me, your host, Jack Mankin. But each flu season, get shots for a good reason. Measles at the school. Measles. Number one, I was like, you know what, you should be exercising. Hey, your kids, stop playing with that cowpox. We didn't even talk about polysaccharide vaccines. 
Thank you. No, it was a good speech. I liked it. <laughs> if they knew that was going to happen, they would have vaccinated, but they didn't know. Winter is coming. My mom was like, you're getting a shot. And I was like, what? Gotta make sure they vaccinate. The panda plague. It was not the panda plague. You got it from panda bears. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Or listen directly on your phone, computer, or any other device from the website www.stchealth.com Looks like you got the flu Looks like you just got the flu The ideas start here, podcast Go give a listen to our friend Jack over at the Ideas Start Here podcast And now it is time for that wonderful music Yes, and we got a little bit of feedback we desperately need to get through, so I'm going to fly right through it. Uh, Jeannie Koch left us a second comment about regarding the one and only Victor Victoria. And she says again, I, you know, I totally agree regarding the review of the movie. I adore this movie, and every time I watch it, I love it more. One thing you didn't say that I really liked about it was that through Alex Karras's bodyguard character and everyone else he's meeting and interacting with, King, uh, King Marchand, played by, uh, oh, James Garner. Garner, thank you, uh, stops being a homophobe and a misogynist because he literally learns better. King's relationships in this movie make him a better person, and I love that this happens without any form of preaching. We tend to love the majority of the Blake Edwards oeuvre, but I agree that this is his best of the best movie. And then we got a comment regarding Space 1999, a retrospective or what the heck happened in season two. Got a comment from Tommy Cannon, and he says, Jerry Anderson's ideas were so far out there that he probably needed the puppets to have the audience and executives suspend their disbelief more easily. That's in regards to the Super Mary Nation stuff he used to do. Puppets and animation are good for telling outlandish stories. Look at Adventure Time and The Dark Crystal. And then we got a comment from Kevin C. Bandy, and he, did the, he left this on Instagram. He said, it was one of my favorite shows from the 70s and ahead of its time. Got a comment from Scott Linder, and he says, I absolutely love Space 1999 from the design of the Eagles to the weirdness of the aliens. I even like the new theme song they did for season two. Well, I'm glad somebody did. And then got a comment from my good friend Darren Anderson, and he said, the cast change did not help it. Got to agree. And then lastly, a comment from Stephanie Dyer. She says, Series 1 suffered from not being shown in production order, which built several subplots. And she left that on our website. And that is our feedback for today. And you can leave a comment on our Facebook page, like our page. You can even comment on our YouTube episodes or at tggeeks.com. And you could receive a shout out on a future episode. We also have a listener feedback Feed, feed lack, feedback line, and you can call that at 469-TG-GEEKS. That is 469-844-3357. And please play, play nice, nice or get booted. Yeah, baby. They're like two gay geeks. They're together, you know. They're two gay guys and they're geeks. Is that okay? And we're back with David Lee Summers, the author. We talked to the David Lee Summers, the scientist or uh, senior observing associate at Kitt Peak. And he's written a couple of uh, novels. And uh, it, it, his actual work that he does is 
Day yeah, job. I guess there was. Or, some... I guess you work mostly at night, but right. uh, so it's called your, a night job. Call it your, your, night, your night job. Okay. Or, yeah, so I get to, your nighttime I, day job. I'm one of those rare people who gets to call writing his day job, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have another job. Yeah. So. <laughs> his, his his job that pays all the bills, so that he can do the but, the day job yes. of writing, has influenced what he does write. So tell us about what what it is that you write. What, I know that we've we've just gotten a little taste of it, but uh, I would love to hear more about. Right, so I, I have eleven novels out right now. Oh my now, lord! And it's you're uh, busy. I, I think of it all as uh, you know the common thread that ties it all together is is retrofuturism. So I've written about uh, space pirates, kind of uh, in a sort of space cowboy Firefly type universe, long before Firefly actually hit the air. Oh wow! So, cool. Um, and then that was where I started. I, I've written some almost secret histories about vampires. Uh-huh. They're va- they're, well, that's a departure. And they're vampire mercenaries. Uh-huh. And one of my vampires <laughs> is an astronomer. So, it's, <laughs> so I'm he sensing has a, a real, theme. He has a night job. <laughs> I, I, can, I can go back to that and tell about where that, inspi- where that inspiration came from. But uh, my most recent series is the Clockwork Legion series, which is a, a series of uh, steampunk novels set in the Wild West. Wow. And, and, uh, about a, a sheriff from uh, Socorro, New Mexico, who teams up with a healer from Persia, and they go on a set of adventures really all around the world. And again, uh, the the astronomy inspiration there was just the fact that my very first job in this field was working at a place called Mariah Mitchell Observatory back on Nantucket Island. Oh my! And it was literally with a 1900s, uh, 1900 Clark camera where you actually had glass plates and you pulled out the slide. Okay, he's and, geeking oh, out right now. Exactly, and you do the you you pull the ropes to open right, things up. Right. You know, you oh. felt like an old you know an old wow. fashioned sailor. So you know this thing actually had a wind up. Clock drive on on the oh telescope to track the sky so i feel like you know i i came right to steampunk from right. actually working with very <laughs> with steampunk like yeah. tech it's so. so cool i'm just curious how long ago was that so that was uh so i was doing that in the in the 1980s so it was 1987 i was and working. they were they were using that kind of Old right. tech? Well, and here's the reason is because the, the whole thing was a, an observatory devoted to uh, looking at variable stars, and they had a glass plate collection of all of these variable stars oh. they were studying back to the early 1900s. Oh, my. And so what wow. it does is it keeps a continuous record of these stars right. that you could even, even after you've looked at these plates and looked at your stars of interest, they're wide fields of the sky. So you might be able to look at those and follow changes of things over a century right. that you might not have been able to follow if you if well, you kept changing the tech on the thing all the time. Yeah, you had me at glass plate. I, I know. Because he's, he's a, a photographer. Be photographer, mm-hmm. and I have a I have a four by five, and oh, no. you know I, I, the thing that in Wonder Woman when they present her the movie he, most, presents yeah. her with that glass plate. Oh, oh no. he, I, I went, <gasps> yeah, he gasped because they're just they're very rare to see actual glass plates of real photographs other than, you know, astro- astronomical right. uh, photographs. And even, even these have pretty much disappeared. Oh yeah. Know, they're, they're, you like, know, even, even Mariah Mitchell now uses, uh, I think they have a CCD camera wow. on their telescope. They have a different telescope in the dome now right. than, than they did then. But still it's, uh, you know, what an inspiration to be in a place yeah. like that oh, and get so to how, play with that. So how did this go to inform you as, the author now yeah so as far as you know 
as far as astronomy just has always been a big inspiration to me, just as far as throwing ideas out at me and, and in all kinds of different uh, ways. Uh, so really it goes back even to the days when I was growing up. And, and this probably did a lot to inform both me as a writer and both me as a scientist. And it was, you know, we would take trips with my dad and, you know, go uh, look around different parts of the country. And my dad was a big history geek. Oh, cool. And, you know, that, so he liked to go to, you know, he liked to go to old battlefields. He liked to go mm-hmm. to, to see different places where, you know, where, where history basically took place. Right. And uh, so I, I remember in particular, we were driving through Glorieta Pass in New Mexico. And he, you know, we started, he started playing the what if game. You know, what if, you know, that was a, that was a famous civil war battle where the, where the Confederates were defeated by the union. In fact, it was one of the first major uh, union victories in the civil war. And, and most people don't even think of the civil war happening as far west as, as New Mexico. Yeah. But, you know, he, he started playing the, you know, what if the Confederates had won and actually had, had succeeded in going up and taking the Denver Mint. And so this becomes kind of this this foundation of well, me that, starting to just play what if right. games. Well, yeah, that that'll and, fuel the whole speculative fiction mind. Exactly, and you know, so it starts playing. You know, so so you start even looking at natural things, and you start playing these. You know, what right. if? What makes that happen? Right. You know, and and so I see that really as the genesis of of all of this, and as far as. You know ways that it's all fed each other. There, there's everything from really direct cases, uh, and a good example of that is I mentioned Steve Howell in the first part mm-hmm. of this segment. He's the the head of astronomy and astrobiology at Ames uh, Research Center. We've edited two anthologies that are called uh, Kepler a Kepler's Dozen and Kepler's Cowboys, and they are we got a bunch of science fiction writers to come and tell stories set on Kepler planets. So oh, we talked a little bit about, out. so we, we talked about the artist conceptions of these things, right? you know, and, and well, you know, those are limited to, that's what the artist does. Right. Well, one of the things we wanted to do, and again, going back to this whole 19th century idea, 19th century, that was when Percival Lowell was looking at Mars, mm-hmm. seeing canals on Mars right, right. erroneously, but it started forming the idea of these places being places. Exactly. You could visit Mars. You right. Could, you might see sites on Mars, right. kind of like touring with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole idea behind these anthologies is we wanted to look at the Kepler planets and actually, you know, let science fiction writers loose with what we know about the planets and say, you know, tell stories about what what they might encounter at these mm-hmm. planets and sometimes Jovian planets and maybe inhabited moons around them. Right. We have a, a really great story by Mike Brotherton, who's also an astronomer and science fiction writer up at uh, University of Wyoming. And, oh, wow. and one of these where he imagines a, a life on, on a moon around a Jovian world. And so, cool. um, but yeah, it's like, you know, so I take the things that, so this was a case where I actually got to take the, uh, I, I got to take the, what I learned about exoplanets from Steve and what we learned in the research at Kitt Peak and turn that into a story. And in this case with space pirates <laughs> right? and, and see what happens when <laughs> why, space why pirates not? have to encounter a situation like this. Wow. Um, so did you, had you always uh, wanted to, uh, well, I mean, not wanted but to be, but 
uh, as a kid been a writer? Did yeah, you so always so, write. So mm. somewhere in there, you know, I, I had the you know, I, I guess like. For, for me as a kid, I kind of wanted to grow up and be Isaac Asimov. Uh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's and, every uh, little geek's dream. Exactly. You know, I wanted to be I the mean, writer. Asimov, be Clark. With, I a, mean. with a zillion PhDs, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, write write a thousand books. And, you know, that that was kind of well, you my... you got a good start on it. Uh, that, was, that, that was where I wanted to be. And, you know, I haven't, haven't quite done it have... Asimov's way, yeah. but, I, you know, I've... <laughs> Still had fun doing what I've been doing in astronomy, and yeah. I've been having fun uh, writing writing the books. And, well, let's and hope that your stories. stuff is is readable. Yes, <laughs> I hope so. Asimov stuff. So. Okay, all you Asimov lovers, I just you can, made everybody mad. Yeah, you can there. send your hate mail too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't. I won't say readable. Let's say. Uh, Fathomable. <laughs> well, actually, I was I was just at Bubonicon, which celebrated its fiftieth anniversary, oh, wow. and, and their their thing for the fiftieth anniversary was looking back at the golden age of science fiction. So I, I ended up reading a lot of golden age science fiction for this, including some quite a bit of Asimov. Right. And it, what really struck me about the golden age is how much of it is is problem solving. Right. You know, it's about let let, oh, well, let, let yeah. you know here here's the puzzle and and how do we how do we solve the puzzle. Yeah. And and really, that's the big difference almost between golden age science fiction and modern science fiction, which is very character driven. Right. Uh, it's so you know there was that transition, and I, I think some of it is reader expectation. Right. Really. You know, if you want to go for a good problem, go for your Asimov story. Yeah, I love uh, the iRobot. I, uh-huh. I but I just. Foundation, the first chapter oh. is like, oh, yeah, my I, I couldn't God. get past chapter three on Foundation. I had to give it up. <laughs> yeah. But I was a teenager, so maybe I yeah, need to try it true. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you had uh, the anthology that just came out, right? So, so another, uh, so most recent uh, anthology that I have a story in is called Straight Out of Tombstone. And it's just out in a mass market edition. Uh, it has stories in it by Jim Butcher, Larry Correa, Kevin J. Anderson, Sarah Hoyt, uh, Jody Lynn Nye. Kevin, uh, Ke- Kevin Anderson? Kevin yeah. Anderson. Oh, yeah. my Kevin Anderson. He, he knows Kevin. I know Kevin. Yes, that Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm friends with Kevin and his wife, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Phil Folio and, and, you know, and more. You know, I feel like I'm writing under yeah. my pen name, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the cover. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but no, it's uh, – so that was my uh, – so the story in there is, is a chance for my uh, – my Clockwork Legion steampunk characters to meet my Scarlet Order vampires. Oh, wow. Was, oh, uh, wow. We're crossing streams now. So we're, we were definitely crossing the streams in that one. And it's, it's actually a historical story set, uh, set in southern New Mexico. It's uh, my take on the Albert Fountain disappearance. And wow. for those who don't know who Albert Fountain was, Albert Fountain was Billy the Kid's defense attorney. Oh, oh, wow. And he continued to investigate in the whole Lincoln County Wars for many years afterwards. And he and his young son mysteriously vanished in White Sands in, wow. in, the, 18, in, in the late 1880s. And uh, so I take my take on it uh, that's a little bit more mysterious, a little more science fictional, yeah. a little more weird Western than, than the usual uh, yeah. explanation and, for that. And can that, where can that be found? So that can be found pretty much at all bookstores. It's, it's just coming out. Uh, it's, it's having a wide release. It's from Bain Books. So okay. uh, you can get it, Amazon? Amazon, okay. get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, okay, cool. all those sites. And then you, you had, had looking for that. Uh, a book this spring that came out. 
So my most recent novel is Owl Riders, and that is my, my fourth Clockwork Legion novel. And these novels are tell the story of uh, Sheriff Ramon Morales, who has basically had a transformative experience uh, meeting his, his uh, girlfriend, who becomes his wife, who's a healer from Persia, Fatima Karimi. And it tells about their experiences. He, basically, they end up leaving Socorro because uh, she falls afoul of the power establishment there. And they go on the road and end up... Uh, the whole the whole thing uh, comes down to there's a creature from the stars called Legion that is mm. actually invisible. They, they are microscopic aliens. So actually, in this case, think of a scientist who's uploaded his mind to a computer. But in this case, the computer is all microscopic and invisible. Wow. And so it can directly interface with people's minds wow. and talk to them and influence them. And in this case, it allows me to play the what-if game of what if you knew that someone like Dmitry Mendeleev was not crazy when he proposed airships to the Russian Czar? Wow. And actually oh, was, given fun- and was given funding. You know, now we fund him to build airships instead. You know, wow. <laughs> and, and what if they knew that Alaska actually had oil? in there and so so ramon and fatima end up being like the two people who kind of know what's going on here and they end up being what's between them and the russian reinvasion of the united states Mm. in 1877 and we follow their adventures and then when we pick them up in in the novel owl writers we're now a few years later ramon is now a powerful attorney in new orleans and he's called back to the west where in the consequences of everything that's happened in the book, the Apaches have gotten their hands on a set of powerful battle wagons oh dear. and are now fighting the U.S. Army. Uh-huh. And so, pl- again, going back to those stories of my dad playing what-if right, right, games, right. you know, this is exactly what that is. And so Ramon, goes, so Ramon goes out west. Now, it turns out that back home, uh, Fatima had never told Ramon that she had once been betrothed. <laughs> and she thought this guy just forgot her. You know, he was a rich, rich trader. Turns out he didn't forget her. Oops. And he's just figured, and, and they've just received enough fame that he's figured out where they're at. Uh, and so while oops. Ramon's away, <laughs> she Hamid gets married. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Fa- so Fatima gets squir- uh, squirreled away to to go off, and so mm. so Ramon must come back and rescue her before uh, you must pay the rent. You exactly, must pay the rent. Oh, or my. marry me. <laughs> so. A little vaudevillian here. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> wow, That's that that is a trip. Um, I, I have to ask this one question. I ask this of all authors. Um, of course, now yours is a really unique situation because you like to play this what if game. Right. But with, so first let me ask this the, the Clockwork Legion, how, how long have you been writing that series? So I really started that series, gosh, I have to now have to think about that. It's, uh, I think the first book of that would have been about 10 years ago, okay. 2007, I believe. Okay. So with you playing the what if game that, that you learned from right. your dad, um, and that you've, you've been living with these characters for so long now. Have you found that as you're writing your story, mm-hmm. uh, do at any point 
because like you just gave a great little you know uh, nice wrinkle in in Fatima's you know character you know her her storyline right there. Do are your characters kind of like coming to life in your head as as you write these and there are they helping to inform where the story goes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's like I, I'm I'm one of those writers who who's a total outliner. And even outlining this particular novel, uh, it's like I was I was writing down plot points, and and they were saying, "No, you can't go there." And it's like, Let, "Let's go off in in this direction," and we're forcing me to re-outline the book, even as I was outlining <laughs> outlining it. I love it. And then it's like, even as I'm writing it, it's like that. You know, there are scenes where it's like I have my I throw my characters into a situation, and it's like one great there. There's a scene where. Um, I, I have a couple of the, the Native American characters are in with the, the U.S. soldiers, and we bring in another uh, one of our characters' friends of Ramon and Fatima who are standing there, and an explosion happens. And I'm like, oh, my God, what, what did they just do? You know, and I, I have to now write the explanation of this, and I realize that, yes, some of the characters off camera wouldn't have just been sitting there, but uh-huh. they, they just sort of took over without my conscious thought and, and blew a hole <laughs> in the wall of the fort. I really think there needs to be a, a serious psychological study that, ne- that has to be performed on, on, on professional writers yes. because of uh, there's, there's almost like a multiple personality disorder yeah. that's taking place here. That's yeah. fantastic. So... Um, wow, I could we could talk to you, you know, for hours on, on your writing alone. Yeah, you you have a, a bunch. of You said how many books do you have? Do you so say? I have eleven novels, eleven out. novels, yeah, n- and numerous short stories. It's it's getting up around about eighty five published wow. short stories. Wow, so. oh my gosh! And so where? Yeah, where can do you, you be- have a, a personal so, website? Uh, yeah, so my website. Yeah, I'm intertubes on and. The, <laughs> DavidLeeSummers dot com, okay. uh, just all one word, and David Lee Summers, and uh, from there you can get my Twitter and my Facebook okay. and, and all so those you things. Are and on I, the Facebook, I am on, on the Facebooks, on the, Facebooks, Facebooks, and the, the Twitters, Twitters, exactly. <laughs> the Instagram, just, just not the MySpaces. <laughs> no, well, I was there too. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> I actually finally just uh, closed out that account. Oh my so. gosh! <laughs> I think mine is still operative. But I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like you show up and there's why haven't you been at? Bring me there's 7,000 messages. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot you were there. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has really been oh, great. Oh, it's been fantastic. We, we would, we'd love to talk to you again when you have a, some, another new novel coming out. It's or if there's a new scientific study. Exactly. Yeah, a a new right. astronomical study. We need to wow, have you back on the yeah. show because, wow, you, you are so much fun to talk to. And you have a signing here coming up. I uh, do this afternoon. Yeah. I believe that's at 5 o'clock this okay, afternoon. Yeah, so. I'll have to go down there and... and uh, get a couple of your books and yes. let you sign them. Thank you. All right. Well, well thank you. Thank you very so much. much. This, this has, has been, been fantastic. Absolutely. Thank well, you. thank you for having me. This I've been having a blast. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you. I'm Daniel Ratcliffe, and I believe that reaching out for help is the bravest thing a person can do. If you are struggling and need support, call the Trevor Lifeline at one eight six six four eight eight seven three eight six. It's free and confidential, and trained counsellors are there to listen 24-7 without judgment. To learn more about the Trevor Project's life-saving work for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning young people, go to thetrevorproject.org. And we 
have our weekly review. So, starting with Sunday, November 4th, we have issue number 21 of Dr. Zombie, Monster Family Physician from Tommy Cannon, who we heard from earlier. And then we had an interesting little press release how the TG Geeks are now the top 10% of global tracked websites. Had Almost the top nine now. Top, Yeah, that's true, top nine. And then we got uh, my review, the story of Mercury and Queen is a Bohemian Rhapsody. And then on Monday, we had episode 194 of the TG Geeks webcast. On Tuesday, there was a press release for Death and Cockroaches, a play in L.A., as well as another one for The Woman Who Went to Space as a Man. That's also playing in L.A. On Wednesday, November 7th, This Week in Home Entertainment, Christopher Robin and Incredibles 2. This was a little review that came from Roe. And Jeannie came back with another old classics newly reviewed. This time it's a double feature for Dick Tracy, the 1945 and 1990 versions. On Thursday, there was a review from Andrew Richoff for The Grinch. How's a charming twist on an old favorite? And then a review that came from me, The Problems That Arise When They Have Their Boy Erased. I really recommend people take a look at that one. On Friday, November 9th, there was issue number 36, New Sushi Morsels of News from Japan and Beyond. And we just want to little, add a little thing, and that is Hamish Get Better. You're, Absolutely. You, you, he's been a bit under the weather, and we, we want him to get well. And then on Saturday, 11th, there was the official 11th? trailer. Uh, November 10th. 11th? 11th. Did I say 11th? Yes, you did. Oh, great. I don't need to waste my time on that. <laughs> That's all right. uh, we had an official trailer release for The Missing Link, The Long Road to Freedom. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, this ran together. Uh, Missing Link trailer, as well as a press release for A Long Road to Freedom, The Advocate Celebrates 50 Years. And you're going to be hearing an interview from those people fairly soon. You can find yeah. all of those at tggeeks.com. <gasps> Please visit our webpage. And as always, we have our... Follow-up items, check out the widgets on the right-hand side. There's lots of goody goodness and geeky goodness for lots of books that uh, people that we support and that we like. Support Arizona Opera by going to azopera.org. Check out the performances and consider giving them a contribution. Check out our restaurant reviews categories. We've got uh, several of those up there now. And as everybody knows, we're huge supporters of independent creators, whether it's filmmakers, comic book artists, writers, or others. Please buy their stuff. And if you are at a con, please have cash for them. Consider supporting independent creators. Special shout-out to Doctor Who Talking Who on Twitter, Michael C. Burgess on Twitter, Human Arkle on Twitter. They all have paper leaves that republish our content. Doctor Who Talking Who's is the Doctor Who Fancast Guide. You can find them by searching Twitter at Talking Who. Michael C. Burgess's is the Byronic Semidiurnal Aggregator. You can find it by searching Twitter at Byronic, B-Y-R-O-N-I-K. And the Human Arkles is the Arkle Times Post-Dispatch News. You can find that by searching Twitter at Arkle, A-R-K-L-E. And speaking of him, he has the Shameless Cash Grab on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and look up Arkle Studios, all one word, and you can find it there. And we must also give a shout-out to the Facebook group, The Gay Geek, for allowing us to post our episodes on their page. And their URL is facebook.com slash group slash The Gay Geek, with special thanks to their moderator, Jeremiah Reeves, for being just so awesome and letting us share all of our content there. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. And thank you to everybody that's clicked on our Amazon ads. Uh, you can find those at the bottom of each page and on the right-hand side of the page. And lastly, we are found on Spotify. Check us out on Krypton Radio at 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. Pacific on Tuesdays. And please rate us and review us on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Up next week, we've got something. We've got uh, a number of interviews in the can. We're just trying to figure out what we're going to schedule. So stay tuned. 
That's all, folks. That should do it for this episode of TG Geeks Webcast. Be sure to check out the article for this webcast episode. We're going to have several links on the page of things we talked about. And remember, you can comment on our Facebook page or website, tggeeks.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 469-TG-Geeks. That is 469-844-3357 from TG Squared Studios. I'm Keith Lane. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to yourself and those around you. Peace. Cheers. Thank you.